0: In 1874, Laura Ingalls Wilder moved from western Wisconsin near Lake Pepin with her family and settled in southwestern Minnesota, Walnut Grove near Plum Creek. The young seven-year-old Laura tells the story about a life that was filled with sunshine and shadows. I would like you to listen to her words as she writes from the banks of Plum Creek.
1: The wheat was almost ready to cut. Every day, Pa looked at it. Every night, he talked about it. He showed Laura some of the long, strong heads of wheat. Pa said the weather was perfect for ripening wheat. If this keeps up, he said, we'll start harvesting next week. At the dinner table, Pa told Ma about it. He had never seen such a crop. There were 40 bushels to the acre, and wheat was a dollar a bushel. They were rich now. This was a wonderful country. Laura sat facing the open door with the sunlight streaming through. Something seemed to dim the sunshine. "'I do believe a storm is coming up,' said Ma. "'There must be a cloud over the sun.' Paul got up quickly and went to the door. A storm might hurt the wheat. The light was queer. It was not like the changed light before a storm— it was a cloud of something like snowflakes, but they were larger than snowflakes and thin and glittering. There was no wind, but the cloud came across the sky faster than the wind. Something hit Laura's head and fell to the ground. She looked down and saw the largest grasshopper she had ever seen. Then huge brown grasshoppers were hitting the ground all around her, hitting her head, her face, her arms, They came thudding down like hail. The cloud was hailing grasshoppers. The cloud was grasshoppers. Then Laura heard another sound, one big sound made of tiny nips and snips and gnawing. The wheat, Pa shouted. He dashed out the back door and ran toward the wheat field. In time, the darkness went away. The sun shone again, and all over the ground was a crawling "'hopping mass of grasshoppers. "'They were eating all the soft, short grass off the knoll. "'The tall prairie grasses swayed and bent and fell. "'They were eating the willow tops. "'Whole branches were bare and knobby "'with masses of grasshoppers. "'The green garden rows were wilting down. "'The potatoes, the carrots, the beets and beans "'were being eaten away.' The long leaves were eaten off the corn stalks, and the tassels and the ears of young corn in their green husks fell, covered with grasshoppers. In her room, through the walls of the house, Laura could hear the sound of the grasshoppers whirring and snipping and chewing. There were no grasshoppers in bed, but she could not brush the feeling off her arms and cheeks. In the dark, she saw bulging grasshopper eyes and felt their claws crawling on her skin until finally she went to sleep. Day after day, the grasshoppers kept on eating. They ate all the wheat and all the oats. They ate every green thing, all the garden and all the prairie grasses, and there was nothing anyone could do about it.
0: From 1873 until 1877, the grasshoppers plagued southwestern Minnesota. And there was nothing anyone could do about it. 400 years before the time of Christ, in an area just outside of Jerusalem, in Judah, there was a plague that was very similar. In the Bible, it's called the Plague of Locusts. All grasshoppers are not locusts, but all locusts are grasshoppers. They're called locusts when they swarm together and devour green things as they did in southwestern Minnesota. Listen as the prophet Joel recounts the story of events in his time. And the account begins with the word of the Lord. Hear this, you elders, listen. Listen. All who live in the land, has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children, and their children tell it to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over mountaintops like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They march in a line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through the defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the windows." Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is drying up, the olive oil fails. Despair you farmers, wail you vine growers, grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed." The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. How the cattle moan. The herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. Surely the people's joy is withered away. If this is the word of the Lord, I doubt that anyone felt like saying thanks be to God. Judah was broken. The grasshoppers had stripped the land. Nothing remained for the people. Nothing remained for the cattle. Nothing remained for the wild animals. Nothing remained for offerings and sacrifices in the temple. The people's joy had withered away, and there was nothing anyone could do about it. The story of this and countless other accounts of swarms of locusts caused me to wonder, is this plague a naturally recurring event, or is this something that was directly from the hand of God? And if the devastation came at the hand of God, what was it the people had done? The book of Joel is just three chapters long and gives little clue as to what, if anything, the people had done. Verse 5 says, and gives some clue, according to some scholars, it says, Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all of you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. And in my Baptistic days, it would have been clear to me that these were Presbyterian and Episcopalian Jews, and they were being punished for their consumption of alcohol. Some commentators suggest that perhaps this verse alludes to a self-absorption brought on by prosperity and a sense of self-reliance. I can do it myself. I don't need God, which may, in fact, be the case, or may, in fact, be a bit of a stretch. Here's what we do know. We know that the people of Judah were devastated by the infestation of locusts. They felt helpless against this invading army of grasshoppers. When a plague of locusts comes into your world or into mine, what do we do? Where do we turn when helplessness overwhelms? Many years ago, I was driving along in my automobile, my baby beside me at the wheel, cruising and playing the radio. To the East Coast, I was determined to go. Sorry to Chuck Berry for that. But I was on a road trip from Minnesota to Connecticut to see my family riding in our 62 Volkswagen Bug. We had headed east about 60 miles, and I was listening to the radio, and all of a sudden I heard a thumping sound coming from the back of the car. So I turned off the radio, pulled over onto the shoulder, got out, went in the back, and looked to see if I could find out what was going on. Found nothing. So I got back on the highway, started up again, sound was gone, so I turned on the radio, we're riding along, about 60 miles again, heard the thumping sound. Turned off the radio, pulled over to the side, got out in the back and looked and could find nothing. So back on the highway, no thumping sound, turned on the radio, 60 miles down the road it happened again and again and again. So you know what I did. I turned off the radio. I don't know if you are like me or what your background was, but when I was growing up, I was taught that rock music was evil and sinful. And good Christians shouldn't be listening to this stuff. So I began to wonder, is God trying to tell me something? Is God sending me a message? So I decided to leave the radio off. Do you ever think like that? Something bad happens, and you begin to wonder, what have I done? Is God punishing me? Just so that you're not left hanging. When I got to Connecticut and had time to really examine the car with my brother, who's a mechanic, we discovered that there was a little spring on the brake pads in the back that was pretty flimsy. Whenever I applied the brakes as I pulled off the highway, I reset the brakes, and the thumping stopped. But apparently, at about 60 miles at highway speeds, a vibration set up and the brake pads would rattle in the back. So it really wasn't the punishment of God. Some of us do this kind of thing. When a tornado hits Moore, Oklahoma, we call it an act of God. We forget that Jesus says the rain falls on the just and the unjust and the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. We want to get away from the words of Jesus which say, in this world you will have tribulation. But Jesus also says, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Still, when the locust plays, come rolling in, we have a tendency to wonder, what did I do to deserve this? What is God trying to teach me? Which really isn't a bad question to ask. Is God trying to teach me something in the middle of this? Sometimes a little self-examination is helpful. Sometimes self-examination leads to repentance, and repentance is turning, turning toward God to follow and attend to God's Word. Sometimes personal reflection helps us to see and better know God. And in the midst of their locust invasion, Joel called upon the people of Judah to turn to God, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord. And again, to return is to repent, to turn toward God. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Joel knew. That God wants a relationship with us. If we stray, God invites us back. If we are in trouble, God invites us to come in close. In the midst of the plague, God, God is there waiting with open arms. Come to me. Return to me. Chronicles 7, 14 reminds us that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their lands. In the Gospels, Jesus simply says it this way, whoever comes, I will never drive away. When calamity hits, when grasshoppers are marching relentlessly, we are reminded that God wants a relationship with us and invites us to draw closer. From 1873 until 1877, the plague of grasshoppers tormented southwestern Minnesota. And the people of Minnesota cried out to the governor, do something, do something. And so the governor, in response to the people, set aside a day for fasting and prayer, April 26, 1877. And the late spring snowstorm came and killed the larvae. And in 1877, the plague of locusts came to an end. Even in the midst of our distress, God is present reaching out for us. Even when we don't understand, like children not understanding what their parents are doing, even when we are not ready or able to respond, God says, call to me, return to me, come to me with all of your heart. God invites us, and when we draw closer, we discover the character of God. We discover a God of compassion and grace. Joel 2, 13 and 14, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. When Moses went up on the mountain the second time to receive the law again, God appeared to Moses and used this description, self-description. I am God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. This God wants to be in a relationship with us, pouring out a blessing on us. These words are repeated over and over and over in the Old Testament. I am God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. He wants to be in a relationship with us, and that's what happened for the people of Judah. The Lord took pity on his people. I am sending you grain, new wine and olive oil, "...enough to satisfy you fully. I will drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it into the parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown in the Dead Sea, its western ranks in the Mediterranean Sea. Do not be afraid. Be glad and rejoice, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches." You will have plenty to eat until you are full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. God longs for a relationship with us. Return to me for I am compassionate and gracious, abounding in love. God takes no delight in our tribulations. God weeps with us in our sorrow and offers to walk with us through the turbulent waters of life. How could Horatio Spafford write the words, it is well with my soul? Some of you know the story. He experienced incredible tragedy within the space of less than a year. First, his only son, four-year-old son, died of scarlet fever. And then the Chicago Fire of 1871 destroyed all of his properties and holdings in Chicago. Feeling the strain of the loss of his son and all of his businesses, he and his family decided to get away, to breathe. And so they were crossing the Atlantic Ocean to spend some time in England. But at the last minute, Horatio had to stay back to deal with a business transaction. So he sent his wife and four daughters over to England. But the ship didn't make it all the way and his four daughters were lost at sea. So he took the next available ship to England to meet with his wife who had been saved. And as he passed near the place where his children had died, he went into his room and penned the words to the hymn, It is well with my soul. When the horrors of life swept over Horatio Spafford, He fell into the arms of the one who was reaching out and inviting, Come to me, you who are heavy laden, you who have burdens, come to me. I will give you my rest. In the midst of despair, he found a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. And in the arms of Jesus, he could say, It is well with my soul. In the midst of our plagues, the prophet invites us to draw close to God a merciful and faithful Father who longs to be with us in our despondency and in our prosperity. And as the prophecy draws to a close, Joel looks forward and sees a brighter future on the horizon. And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. On my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God who desires a relationship with us does not leave us alone in our misery, but comes to us with compassion and mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And God comes with the assurance that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As Laura Ingalls Wilder tells her story of the grasshopper plague, she completes her story of the locusts this way. Listen as Shirley Bowers reads for us.
1: One day in early summer, Paul came to dinner and said, The grasshoppers are hatching up through the ground like corn popping. They grew large and brown and ugly, thick over all the ground they were hopping. Laura and Mary stayed in the house. One day the grasshoppers were making a new sound. All across the yard, the grasshoppers were walking shoulder to shoulder and end to end, so crowded that the ground seemed to be moving. Not a single one hopped. Not one turned its head. As fast as they could go, they were all walking west. The whole day the grasshoppers walked west, and the next, and the next. They walked without stopping. They walked steadily over the house. They walked over the stable. They walked into Plum Creek and drowned. And those behind kept on walking in and drowning until dead grasshoppers choked the creek and filled the water, and live grasshoppers walked across on them. It was near noon on the fourth day when Paul came from the stable, shouting, Look outdoors! Look outdoors! The grasshoppers are flying! Everywhere, grasshoppers were spreading their wings and rising from the ground. More and more of them filled the air, flying higher and higher until the sunshine dimmed and darkened. "'and went out as it had done when the grasshoppers came, "'only this time it was rising instead of falling. "'The cloud passed over the sun and went on far to the west "'until it could be seen no longer. "'There was not a grasshopper left in the air or on the ground, "'except here and there a crippled one that could not fly. "'Ma went into the house and threw herself down in the rocking chair.' My Lord, she said, my Lord, the words were praying. Thank you, my Lord, thank you.
0: God had been with them in the plague. God had been with them in the deliverance, and God promised to be with them in a brighter future. So my friends, whether or not you are facing a horde of locusts. The invitation is simply come home. You who are weary, come home. Lord God, you are faithful, dependable, reliable. We are sometimes unfaithful, not dependable, not reliable. You are gracious and compassionate. And don't keep record of our sins. And sometimes we are not any of those things. But still you remain. And you invite us to come wherever we are. To come in close. To find your deliverance. To find your presence. To help us. And so Lord Jesus, we draw to you. We who are weary are coming home.